All right. Thank you, Lindsay. That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. I want you to remember that last line of that song at the end of my talk, okay? Thank God I'm changed. Thank God I'm changed. When we get to the end of the talk today, that's going to be very important that you remember that line. It's going to be our focus point as we wrap up this whole idea that we're going to talk today about the destructive patterns that we walk through. So here we are in our second week and our whole uh, you know, unstuck series, and uh, just want to give you kind of some background as to why we're having this series. But first of all, I want to tell you something that, because you're always asking me this in the lobby, and I just wanted to let you guys know I'm okay, is that, you know, I had a surgery a few weeks ago, and because after the surgery I was sitting and table and sitting, and so you're looking at me, you're thinking, well, are you, are you okay? Because you're still sitting, you know, and you asked me that, and I said, you know what, I'm just fine, you know, I really am, at least physically, okay? Uh, and so, uh, but, you know, this is just comfortable, and so we're going to try it for a while, and I uh, just like a change, and uh, other folks tell me that, you know what, with you sitting, I just, I just feel like we're having coffee together, you know, we're in our living room, and we're having coffee, and I like that, and so here we go, I'm going to stay here for a while. And then I'll change, okay? And we'll do that. So here we go. Okay, so why are we having this series? Why did we call it Unstuck? And so the reason is this, is that so many people I run into, so many people I talk to just tell me they're stuck. They feel like they're stuck in their place in life. They feel like they're stuck in their anger or their depression. They feel like they're stuck in their addictions or their substance abuse. Uh, they feel like they're stuck in their finances, you know, and they can't seem to get out of debt. And so they would, you know, want to seem to, what can I do to have a different, you know, financial uh, outlook. They feel stuck in their relationships and uh, maybe they made mistakes, something like in that song where he said he would, you know, go to people he's hurt and have to, you know, say, hey, I'm changed now and I'm different. Will you forgive me? Some people feel stuck in their career. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just, you know, especially I think young people uh, and where our culture is and our economy is, they feel that there's really, you know, there aren't the jobs that they thought there would be. And so they feel stuck and don't know which direction to take. Uh, but, you know, the most fascinating thing I hear and the, really the reason that I wanted to do this series uh, is that when I listen to people, I listen real carefully, and if I, I'm just thinking, if I'm really you know, honest about what I think they're saying to me, is that what I sense people saying is that I'm stuck in my relationship with God. I'm stuck in my relationship with God. You know, some of you would be able to say that today, that you sense that, you feel that, that you're stuck in your relationship with God. You're stuck in your pursuit of Him. Uh, that you've reached a certain point in your journey of, and about who God is. And, and then what happens is, is that there's kind of a list of things. And, you know, this is, you know, I run into people that don't go to church anymore, that they've kind of opted out of church because, you know, somehow it didn't meet their needs. And so they've opted out of it. And really they're opting out of God, too, in many ways. And so they'll say things like this to me. Say, you know, Ron, the whole God thing, it just didn't work for me. You know, I tried it, and it just didn't seem to work with me. Or, you know, I would come, and I would look around, and, and I would see other people, and, and, you know, they seem to have a closer walk with God than I do. And, and I just didn't know what to do. And so, you know, it's kind of fallen away now. Or they say something like, you know, Ron, I tried to get close to God, and every time I moved toward Him, He just didn't seem to be there. He just seemed to be absent somehow. Or then they'll be really honest, and they'll say, you know, my life had a really rough patch, and I didn't feel that God cared. I didn't feel he was there for me. Or they'll say something like this, you know, I'm just stuck 
and I've had these patterns, and, and I've just tried giving them to God. I've got these hurts, these hang-ups, these habits, and, and I try to give them to God, but you know what? Every time I try, it seems like I just go back to that same problem again, and I end up feeling stuck. Now, I, I told you last, bless you, God bless you, in fact. Okay. <laughs> I told you last week that this series came out of a season that I'm in right now, where I, honestly, I, I told Kim, I said, I can't believe I'm calling a series unstuck, and I'm so stuck. Uh, right now. So it was, it really, God was, I needed God to help me with some issues that I was having uh, about my experience with him and with Christ. So here we go. So that's why we're having the series, okay? It's really for me. Now, nah, so you just get to tag along and come along for the ride. Okay, we began last week. It was really cool last week. If you weren't here, you want to watch it online. Pastor John talked about our beliefs that defeat us, our beliefs that defeat us. And he talked about this. He said that our beliefs determine our behaviors and the whole point of last week was this. In order to stop defeating myself, I have to start, stop deceiving myself. So I have to stop deceiving myself if I'm going to stop defeating myself. We went through Romans chapter 6 last week. And in Romans chapter 6, John did a great job of identifying the problem and the solution that God gave through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we started this, you know, Romans 6, the week after Easter, because we just celebrated the resurrection of Christ. And Romans 6 talks about what we have because of the resurrection of Christ. And we talked about a couple of ideas that day. We said this, we said, we were slaves to sin before we came to know Christ. And now we're a slave to Christ. We're a slave to righteousness. Uh, we have a new identity. Uh, we're no longer sinners. So, uh, when we come to know Jesus Christ, uh, before we come to know Jesus Christ, we're sinners. But when we come to know Jesus Christ, we're no longer sins. And we said this last week. We said, sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer my master. In fact, I want, to, I want you to say it out loud with me again so we can do this. Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Okay, so we got that. So with all that said, okay, all that said, does that mean I'm no, that I'm never going to sin again? No, no. I mean, I, this is just, in fact, I got to tell you, this was really hard for me coming to this talk. Is it Romans 6 and all of its freedom talk and all this wonderful stuff. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. And then I get to Romans 7. And I'm going, whoa, is Paul schizophrenic here? Is he like bipolar and he's just having a bad day? Is he, what's going on here? And his whole talk about Romans 7. You know, and so it talks about the fact that we still sin. It's saying, I don't want to sin. I want to be different, but I still do it. And some of you would be able to say, that's true with you. And so you look at sin and you say, my sin is costing me my health. My sin has cost me my relationships. My sin has cost me my integrity. My sin has cost me my walk with God. My sin has cost me deep harm in my emotions. My sin has cost me my marriage. My sin has cost me my family. My sin has cost me my career. My sin has cost me my future. And so you realize that sin is costly. It's costly. And Paul's masterful here. He says in Romans 6, you're no longer a sinner in Romans 6. Then Romans 7, he just begins the whole deal, but you still sin. But you still sin is what he talks about in Romans 7. And he says, you know what? You, you love Jesus. I know. I love Jesus. That's right. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. You know, kind of that whole deal. I love him. But yet, even though I love him, I still have the propensity to sin. Is I know what I want to do, and yet I don't do what I don't want to do. So, okay, let's make this real personal this morning. Really personal. I want you to think about this question in your life. What do you do 
that you really don't want to do? What do you do that you really don't want to do? Second question, what do you not do that you really wanted to do? What do you not do that's good that you really wanted to do? We've all got something. I can guarantee it. So what I want to do now is I want to do a little mass confession, okay? We're going to do a little mass confession this morning as we get started. So I'm going to ask if you turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor, and I'd like you to tell your neighbor your deepest, darkest sin, okay? No, don't, okay, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Woo, that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be real church. Okay. But would you turn to your neighbor right now and just say, would you, you look like you're a little stuck, okay? You just look like you're a little stuck. Do that for me. Okay, you're having too much fun, I can tell. Uh, having too much fun. So I love how honest and the, the real the Bible is, and so we're going to look at Paul as he goes through, goes through this section today about the whole idea of sin. So what I want to do is I want to set this up a little bit, uh, set it up a little bit, kind of what we talked about last week, just give you a picture, is that uh, before I come to know Christ, I am a sinner, okay? Just defi- I am a label sinner. I cannot do anything else. And Paul makes reference to, I saw, you know, I saw the law, I saw God's word, I saw his Ten Commandments, and even though I might have wanted to do them, I was incapable of doing them because I am a sinner. Okay, so we got, I am a sinner, so I am incapable of doing the good that the law specifies and says. Maybe I want to do it, maybe I don't want to do it, but I'm just incapable of doing it. So here's the deal. I am in this condition the moment I'm born. The moment I'm born, I am a sinner. I'm a sinful condition. So here's the deal. I'm there, and then when I say yes to Jesus Christ, I change labels. I change labels, and I move over here, and I am now a, we talked about it last week. What did we say? Saint. saint. Those of you here, saint. And we talked about, you know, Saint Ron. We talked about, you know, Saint Art, you know, the different things. that we, We're a saint now. We're no longer, I'm no longer Sinner Ron, and I'm no longer Sinner Art, but now I'm Saint Ron. So I now have a new identity and a new place that I'm going to be. Now, here's the deal. In order for this fulfillment of this label, for, in order for this label to be fully fulfilled, is that it will be fulfilled at the moment I die and go to heaven. That's when I will be perfect, okay? Because saint means perfect. So here we go. I am a saint. I've got the label of someone who has a new identity, and it will be fully known, accomplished in heaven. So here's the deal. I live in between the moment I said yes to Christ and the moment I go to heaven. I live in the here and the now. And in the here and the now, I am a saint who sins. I am a saint who has the capacity and the propensity to sin. Now, they say, does that mean I have to sin? It's not a trick question. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't mean I have to sin. And we're going to look today at kind of some whole ideas about how we can be set free from these destructive patterns of this in-between time that caused me to live a life of misery when I choose to sin in this way. So what I want to do, grab your uh, Bibles if you haven't yet. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be today, so open them up to Romans chapter 7. If you remember every week, and when you come in, if you grab a Bible, it'd be helpful. Sometimes we'll just grab and look right to a certain place here, so it'll be useful. When you, you know, leave, put it back in the racks. If you don't own a Bible, take one. Take one. Uh, just, this is our free gift to you. If you don't own one, we'd love to have you a Bible. And you can also grab your message notes, 
And as you grab your message notes, all the verses I'll use will be there and to help you out as well. And you might want to, you know, take some notes about this whole idea. So I'm going to begin with verse 14 in Romans chapter 7. And so it begins this. It says, the trouble is not the law. So some people would say this. Culture says this. Here's what culture says. If that church or if that Christian didn't tell me, didn't talk about the Bible, didn't talk about good and evil, then there wouldn't be a problem in the world. We just all focus on good and there wouldn't be a problem in the world. The problem is the fact that you guys talk about law. The problem is you talk about standards that you have that God expects us to keep. He says, no, hey, the problem is not the law for it is what? Spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, he says. It's with me. And so every one of us has to have responsibility here for I am all too human, he says, a slave to sin. Now, is he saying, I thought we were free. I thought we weren't, that sin was no longer my master. He's saying this. He's saying, what he's saying right here is he's saying that I still have the propensity to sin. And because I have that, if I'm not careful, sin will become my master. Even in this in-between state that I will allow sin to be what I'm known for and what rules my life in this in-between time. But it doesn't have to be that way. Okay, here we go. Now, I'm going to talk about how do we change the destructive patterns by three ideas that we're going to look at through this section of Romans 7. First is this. When I can change my destructive patterns when I identify the consequences. So it just helps to know what pain you're walking into, right? So if I can know what pain I'm walking into, then I may choose not to walk that way. So we're going to talk about the consequences that Paul talks about in these verses that he was actually experiencing. He says this. The first one is confusion. He says, I'm just confused. That's a consequence of sin in your life. You're confused because you know, oh, I got this new nature and yet I'm still sinning. And he says, this, I don't really understand myself. Confusion or conflict, he's conflicted here. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Instead, I do what I hate. He said, I don't know what, I don't know why. I just can't, can't figure it out. You know, it just seems to be confusing to me. I'm so conflicted. And so I realize that I'm not doing what I want, and I'm actually doing what I hate. And what happens is, is that you feel deep sorrow in that place when you get to that place. So here we go. I'm going to ask another question to kind of help us to kind of get a a grasp of what Paul's saying here. Here we go. Here we go. Have any of you ever committed the same sin twice? (laughs) Okay. So there we go. If your hand's not up, you're a liar, and you just sinned. Okay? (laughs) So we've all done it. Okay? Same sin twice. So good. So have any of you ever failed to do the good that you wanted to do? Yeah. So same deal, same deal. We all have. And Paul's saying, I'm just confused. Why do I do that? Why do I, I just don't understand in that way. He's going to get to the place where he's going to say that he understands it. Second is guilt. We feel guilt when we sin. We feel guilt and shame when we sin. And this is where a lot of you live. A lot of you live and you walk around and you feel guilty and you feel full of shame because of your sin. And I just, I just want to say this right now. You can leave free of that today. Today you can be free. You don't have to carry guilt and you don't have to carry shame because that's not God's plan for you, to carry guilt and shame. He says this, but if I know what I'm doing is wrong, so here we go, that's the guilt part. When I know what I'm doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good, but it's right. If I know what I'm doing is wrong, and so what happens is I know the law is good, I know what I'm doing wrong, and I do it. And so what I feel is, the natural feeling is, and some of us, we have this even stronger than others because we were given this you know, kind of shame-based system that we came out of, but we feel guilt and we feel shame when we're in that place, whether it's a sin of omission 
or a sin of commission that we feel guilt and we feel shame. And I just really want, I, you know, personally, I'm just saying, I want everybody to be free today when we leave from the guilt and shame that you might feel today because of a sin or many sins that you've committed, even if it was the same one over and over again. You don't have to be in that way. But when you're guilty, it actually leads into frustration. So you have to, you're, I'm guilty, I feel shame, now I'm frustrated. Oh, I'm so frustrated. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So I'm just, I'm all frustrated about trying to understand what's going on here. I have great intentions, but I don't seal, seem to be able to pull them off. Nothing changes. I still sin. I don't seem to be getting any better. It's nothing, you know, nothing's not, uh, it's not any different. And so I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated because somehow I live with this belief that if I'm a follower of Christ, I shouldn't sin anymore. And I just say this, folks, that's a lie. That's a lie. So I have frustration because I feel that I failed again, and because I know Christ, I should not sin. And I would say, you sin. I sin, believe it or not, okay? I sin, believe it or not. Billy Graham sins. The Pope sins. The President sins. My wife. Oh, I tell you, leave that one out, okay? <laughs> We're not going to go there. <laughs> We all sin, okay? So, and it leads us to this place where we're frustrated. And then when we're frustrated, if we're not, you know, we don't do something about this, then it's, we're desperate. We end up with desperation. Just we're desperate under this cloud, and we don't know how to get out of it. And he says, I know that nothing, this is desperate talk, folks. I know that nothing, you ever felt like this? Nothing good lives in me. I know that, he says, in my sinful nature. So I'm just in this place of defeat. I keep failing. I keep struggling. Nothing's good in me. I continue to fight my sin. And some of you, this is where you're at today, and I'm going to set you free in a minute about this whole idea. You have to fight it. Is that, and what happens is, is I fight it, and I continue to sin instead. I want to change, but I can't. And then what happens is I just end up exhausted. That's the last stage. I just end up in a state of exhaustion. Just exhausted. Paul says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So he's just saying, I'm exhausted even thinking about it, okay? I can't, you're trying to write it out. So I'm exhausted writing it out here. And some of you are here today and you're exhausted and you just don't know what to do. And what happens is, is you see people leave the church and leave God because they're exhausted and the church and God didn't work and they walk away and they end up actually in, worse, in a worse place because folks, the only hope we have is here. The only hope we have is through God and what God did in Jesus Christ. So we have to know how to stop the pattern and not lead us into those states of that state of exhaustion. So, okay, so we need to know the consequences. We identify them, and that helps me say, I don't want that, you know, so I, I want something different. And so now we need to identify the cause. So we talk about the cause, and I already went into this in depth uh, when I talked about the cause just a little while ago, but I want to read these verses uh, from Romans 7, 21 through 23. He says this, I had discovered this principle. So, okay, principle, cause. He's talking about cause. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. 
But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and that means it's against the law, a war with my mind against the law. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Okay, so you just got to understand here, and this is going to help. This is going to set some of you free just when I say this today. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and, you know, it's toward the end of his ministry. He's already started all the churches. He's done all his missionary trips, and now he's in jail, and he's writing letters to the churches. So at this point, you would say that Paul, in his walk with Jesus Christ, would be called a mature follower of Christ, okay? A mature follower of Christ. He's, he's probably the most influential follower of Jesus who ever lived, except Jesus himself. And Paul is saying, the most influential follower of Jesus who's ever lived, Paul is saying this. He's saying, the closer, here, some of you need to get, the closer I get to God, the more I see my sin. That's what he's saying. The closer I get to God, the more I see my sin. The more mature I get, the more I realize how far I have to go. The more like Jesus become, the more I realize how far I actually have to go. It's God peels off the layers. He peels off the layers. And you know, I, this is where an area where I've struggled a lot because, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for 21 years. I went to seminary before that. Three years of seminary. I went to four years of Bible school before that. I had two years of following Christ before that. And then I get to this place. I think, you know, I should be over this by now. I should just be over it by now. And what God's saying here is he's saying to us today, he's saying, you will continue to see the sin in your life because as the closer you get to me, the more I will reveal to you who you are. Because I don't want you to carry sin in your heart and sin in your life. So what we need to realize, and write this down, that I have two natures. And we've already talked about that. That's the cause. I have two natures. A battle between my old nature, and there's all kinds of ways that people phrase this, my old nature and my new nature. So we're born with a sinful nature, sinners. When we come to know Jesus Christ, we have a new label. We are saints and that we're given the nature of Christ. And in the in-between time, I have this war, and Paul's talking about here, he's talking about, it's basically a civil war he's talking about. He's talking about this battle that goes on inside of me between what I do and what I don't want to do, what I don't want to do, and what I do. I had this battle that's going on in this place. Okay, so what I want to do now is we're going to hear a story, and we're going to hear a story of a lady in our church named Shara Andrews, and she's going to come and share her story and understanding this whole process of destructive patterns that she was in, and then how God is setting her free from those destructive patterns. So would you just give Shara a warm welcome this morning? Thank you. I'm glad I'm on the saint side. <laughs> um, I was fifth born of six children to an alcoholic father and an overwhelmed mother. Growing up in East Oakland in the late 60s was confusing, and I often felt unsafe because of the color of my skin. My father abandoned the family when I was only six, so my mom did the best she could to raise us. She was forced to work full time which left us kids on our own. When I was young, inappropriate touching went on with my siblings and I. It was curiosity gone too far. I became disillusioned, and I sank into anxiety, fear, shame, and depression. I remember, even as a young girl, contemplating suicide. We were all in survival mode. I seemed to be the child who took on the problems of the family. 
I made it my duty to fix them. And when I got exhausted of saving the world around me, I would isolate, overeat, and numb out on television. Sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So (laughs) I struggled in school, and my only motivation to show up was to get attention from guys. At 16, things got serious very quickly with my boyfriend. It was like I found my knight in shining armor. He became my friend, my lover, my father, and my God. Since we both came from broken homes, we played married, but didn't make it official for about seven years. At the age of 25, I attended my brother's baptism. He became a born-again Christian. This really impacted me. Shortly after that experience, I had an encounter with God. I had this moment of seeing myself in front of the cross, and I knew Jesus accepted me with all my brokenness. I realized that the price he paid on the cross was for me, and I trusted him. But it took years for me to realize he wanted to set me free from old patterns in my life. In 94, we had our identical twin daughters, and we felt doubly blessed. My husband and I, we struggled in our marriage relationship, in our finances, and I struggled as a mom, always feeling that I needed to control my kids. We decided to leave the East Bay and start a new life in Grass Valley. I quit my corporate job of 15 years and took on the huge challenge of caring for my mother-in-law. We had another daughter. About eight years later, God is so cute. (laughs) All that to say, my life became incredibly chaotic, and I found myself very overwhelmed. Fear, anxiety, and anger caused me to sink back into old patterns of depression and suicidal thoughts. When my daughter was 14, we almost lost her to anorexia. I remember sitting by her bedside at the hospital. And I realized that the patterns in our family needed to be addressed, and I needed to start with me. It was a wake-up call. I started right into therapy, which for the most part was focused on my family of origin. And then my therapist suggested I attend Celebrate Recovery. I remember looking at her a little sideways because I wasn't addicted to drugs or alcohol, but because I trusted her, I went. The first time I went, it was hard to walk from the parking lot into the building. I felt awkward. (laughs) People would introduce themselves by giving their name and why they're in recovery. I thought, I know I'm a mess, but I'm not sure why I'm here. (laughs) But I also thought, I dig it. I dig these people. They were honest about their struggles. There was no pretense about them. I decided to come back and I haven't stopped coming back for four years, and don't plan to stop. (laughs) Um, Through recovery, I learned I struggle with codependency, and I began to understand my depression, my anxiety, and my self-hatred. I tend to want to fix other people's problems and ignore my own. I learned what people-pleasing is and how I was living in a constant state of exhaustion. Attempting to be God is a big job. 
And in recovery, I learned I'm not God. What a revelation. The tools I've learned in recovery have saved my life and my most treasured relationships. I realize my husband is not God, and we walk this journey together with God's help. I'm thankful to share that my daughter is now 18, and she's free of anorexia. I'm so, so proud. Thank you. I'm so proud of her, and she too learned to surrender her will to God. Of course, I still struggle, but I now know how to respond to my struggles. God has given me a great church family, and in Celebrate Recovery, he has given me a safe place to go weekly, where Christ is honored and where I can go to share my hurts, hang-ups, and habits. God keeps me growing, healing, and able to give something to others. Having accountability and feeling accepted has kept me on track and living real. The more I heal through the 12-step study, the more freedom I experience. I no longer contemplate suicide, and when I feel myself sinking into depression, it's short-lived because of my amazing family and celebrate recovery and the blessing of Twin Cities Church. Yes, there is no substitute for doing life alongside others who realize they need God. Knowing others and being known by others is where I have found so much joy and so much peace. Jesus is truly the lifter of my head. I'm still learning how to take this world as it is, is not as how how I would have it by trusting him that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. To God be all the glory. Thank you. you. So um, Celebrate Recovery, amazing place for really honest people. Uh, uh, who are willing to go to admit that they're broken, to admit that they're stuck. And I think that in Char's story, she may have taken some of the, uh, a barrier off for some of you about Celebrate Recovery, where you think, oh, that's just for people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol. It's not. It's for broken people. People have hurts, as they say, hang-ups and habits, so that they can together work it out and move out of the place where they're destroying themselves and others through their destructive patterns. So what I want to do is, okay, we talked about the consequences and we've talked about the cause. Now I want to talk about the cure. So we need to identify the cure. This is what's really cool. I love what Paul did here. And uh, he gives us an example of us coming to realization, coming to an understanding of our condition uh, and what's happened, he, what the cause, and why it's there, and you know, but he didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us at that miserable place that he was at at the end. He actually talks about and model. This is a model. He models for us the cure, and then a prescription of what we would do to overcome our destructive patterns. And the first is that I need, I must confess my sin. I must confess my sin. So he's talked about all of these problems along the way, and then what we have to do is we have to come to the place now where we have to confess our sin. This is the way he says it, okay? He's down, he's 
he's gotten to the end of his tirade here, and then he just basically says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Oh, as some translations say, I am so bad. I am so bad. I am so damaged here. And he says, I'm a miserable person. So the first step is, if I'm going to find a cure in this situation to my sin problem right here, I need to not deny it, not deny it, not hide it, try to hide it some way. I, and I can't beat it into submission. Some of you are trying to do that. You're trying to beat your sin into submission some way, and that's never going to work. I must confess it. I must be real and honest about the place I'm in. So that's the first thing that Paul did. Second is this. I need to admit my need. I need to admit my need. And what he's admitting here, that he is powerless to do anything about his problem. Powerless. What he's admitting here. So he says this. Who? Circle that. Who? Circle that word. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? What he's saying here is he said, I need someone to set me free. He didn't say, what will free me, okay? He didn't say, what will free me? I'll just say this to us. Willpower is not enough. Will, the reason some of us stay stuck so long is that we believe that somehow if we can just find the right system, the right solution, if we can have the, enough strength that we're going to be able to will ourselves out of our sin problem. And what we're understanding here, what Paul is saying is that that's not enough. I need a source outside of myself. And so what Paul is admitting by this question, he's admitting that willpower hasn't worked. He's admitting that religion hasn't worked. He's admitting that, you know, his whole, you know, all the steps he could take, all the principles he could write about hasn't worked. He's admitting that knowledge and information hasn't worked. And he's placing himself open in a position like this to say, who will help me? And the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ. I have to admit my needs. So then the first thing, the third thing we have to do, and this is more the prescription today, is I have to express my gratitude. That's what he does next. He expresses his gratitude. He says, you know, I'm desperate. I confess that I have a sin problem. I confess that I've sinned. Who will help me? He's admitting that he has a need. Then he's received the answer to that need through Jesus Christ. Now, how do I then move into a place where I can actually do battle against these destructive patterns? I'm going to give you one, one clue today, one step. One, actually, it's a what. What can I do to do battle? It's a prescription against these destructive patterns that I have. And it's in this verse where he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember I told you I was going to come back to the last line of the song? Thank God I'm changed. Starts with, not I'm changed, not I've changed myself, but thank God, God has changed me. Thank God. So he's saying this, I've tried with all my willpower, that didn't work. I realized that willpower hasn't solved my problem. So what I did is I turned to Jesus Christ, I turned to him because it's not about willpower, it's about resurrection power, and he's giving me the power to change, the power to change. So what I want to do is I want to give us a kind of a, a thought based on this quote from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard Great, uh, it's a philosophy professor at USC, incredible Christian writer, really has changed the face of Christianity in our day through his writings. And this is his quote, he says this, failure to attain a deeply satisfying life has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Herein lies the strength of temptation. We must arrange life so that sin no longer looks good to us. We must arrange our lives so that 
God and the things of God are so appealing to us that sin is no longer appealing to us. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to give you kind of a homework assignment today. Uh, It's really going to be fun, too. Okay, it's not like homework in school. Okay, here we go. What I want to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to ask, you know, just to think about this question right now. What could I do today? What could you do today for 30 minutes that would bring me joy? What could I do for 30 minutes today that would bring me joy? And I'm just going to give you some thoughts. It's beautiful outside, as Bobby said earlier. So some of you might say, you know, I just want to experience nature, and I'm going to take a walk today. And I'm just going to take time out. I don't, I don't know how. I'm just going to take time out, and I'm going to experience the joy of nature today. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm going to play with my dog. I've got a Labrador retriever, and my Labrador retriever will chase sticks till her paws are bloody. <laughs> and you know what? Some of you, it may just be to play with your dog. And you know what? There's just something about, especially playing with a lab like this, is that when they come back, they're so full of joy that you catch their joy. You catch their joy. Maybe that would be it. Maybe, maybe it would be to ride a bike. Some of you, you're you know, kind of like that being outdoors, and you, you like exercise too, and you really feel the wind in your face, and you feel great joy at that. Maybe it would be to ride a bike. Maybe it would be to talk with some friends. You've got some friends that you know when you talk to them that you most often feel replenished or built up or encouraged or some way, but you know you just haven't had time to do it. Carve out 30 minutes to do that today. Maybe you want to, if you have kids at home, you just have a hug fest. You know, and you start, maybe you end up with a pillow fight and just have a great time for 30 minutes just playing with your kids today. Maybe for some of you, you can say, you know what? I'm going to start a project I've been putting off. I don't know about you, but I get so much joy when I start something I've been putting off and not been doing. Maybe for you, it would just be to start a project that you've been putting off. Maybe in that area, for some of you, today you would do your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) I know you think I'm twisted there. But just starting, just doing something can give you a sense of joy. Maybe for some of you, you know what? You want to look at family pictures. You just want to go back and look at some pictures of yourself when you were younger, your family, and you look at family pictures. You know, there's something about family pictures that most of us are smiling in our family pictures, and we look like we're having fun whether we are or not. And so we can feel that joy just from looking at those smiles and those pictures. Maybe for some of you, you're thinking, you know what? Our family needs a vacation. And so to you, joy today would be to plan a summer vacation. You say, even if you don't have money, you say, what can we do without the money that we would typically spend on a vacation that we don't have this year and plan something that your family can do and then the joy of sharing that with your family that you get to do. Maybe some of you just be eat a meal as a family today. Say, you know what, I'm just going to eat a meal as a family. We're going to do something, some special preparation. Maybe we'll have just macaroni and cheese together. Or we're going to breakfast for dinner, whatever it happens to be. And you're going to have some joy together to do that. Maybe for some of you, you want to call your mom or dad today. Or maybe you want to call your children today. In some way, you just want to call. And you know what? If you call your children, don't ask them, you know, how they're doing in their homework or ask them how they're, you know, just you want to call and talk about happy things. Just a moment to have some, a time of joy today. But what would it be for you? And I'm going to ask you to do that today. What would it be for you that you would say, I'm going to do this for 30 minutes today. And then now every day of the week, you may not have 30 minutes every day, but you may have one minute. Think about what's one thing I can do today that would bring me joy to do this. And what happens is over time, as you start doing things that bring you joy, as you bring things, God honoring, as you do those things, you're drawn closer to God because now you're, when you have that joy, what happens is, is you become amazingly grateful. And you know what, folks? You, can, you cannot sin when you are grateful to God for what he's done. 
When you have that, you're all, you're just in this place of this awe about what God's doing in your life. It's hard to then shut that off and say, oh, I got to sin a moment, God. <laughs> to be grateful with him. I'm just going to ask today, would you order your life in such a way that sin no longer looks good? Just order your life in such a way that sin no longer looks good. Now, there's that last verse there. Next week, we get to go to Romans 8. And, and this is really cool. Okay, this is really awesome. Is that Romans 7 is this kind of divergence. And then a lot of you may not be aware that Romans 8 follows Romans 7. You know, duh. <laughs> so he's talking about sin in Romans 7, and Romans 8 is a response to sin. A whole Romans 8 is a response to what he's talked about in Romans 7. And it's all about being underneath the fountain of grace. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's bow our heads and pray. Well, God, I, I just ask today that in the time we've had, that we've been able to laugh together, and some of us have been brought to tears. Some of us have felt remorse and sadness. Ultimately, God, what you're desiring today is that we would feel drawn to you that we would feel drawn to you knowing that you're not angry. And you're not even disappointed. That you are available. And God, for all the people who just feel that you don't work or you're not there, or they haven't changed and they're disappointed and disillusioned, I pray today that this just, it's just brought new hope, new desire, to pursue you not only as the God of the universe, but the God of my life and the one who walks with me every day. And I pray, God, that you would help us with our destructive patterns. And when we sin, that our first response will be to confess and to admit how much we need you and to thank you with gratitude for what Jesus did on the cross. And help us, God, to order our lives in such a way that we see you wherever we go. And that you're always there. And you love us. And you walk with us. And your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. All of our failures. All of our sins. And that over time, over time, we will look back and we'll realize that we are not doing that sin anymore because we've been changed. And I just thank you for that promise and that power. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.